You are back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. Hawaii Talks. This is Catherine Cruz. Lawmakers are using the pandemic to look long and hard at the way we do business. Uh, they are leaving no stone unturned. Earlier this morning, we talked to John DeFries, head of the Hawaii Tourism Authority, about the latest move to slash its funding and scale back its scope. The last-minute gutting of House Bill 862 has triggered a tidal wave of opposition from programs that have been funded by HTA in the past. Here's how DeFries sees this latest move and why he and others are fighting against it. We carefully watch what is going on in the market, certainly with the announcement in Japan that no foreigners will be allowed to attend. The Olympics was a big sign. And so we are having each month we have reduced the expenditures to the point of basically removing all marketing programs. And those international bureaus are limiting their communication with messaging And also, we're in the process of resetting the market's mindset about Hawaii. And uh, it's consistent with the strategic plan that was adopted January 2020 by the Board of Directors. It has four pillars on it, natural resources, Hawaiian culture, community and community well-being, as well as branding. And so uh, we're using this downtime to uh, use it to educate our stakeholders and partners in different parts of the world. And each month, if you look back over 12 months, even prior to my arrival, there have been incremental reductions in those expenditures. And we're going to be facing uh, additional cuts at the month-end meeting coming up in 10 days. We'll talk about the cuts because, you know, lawmakers are using this pandemic as an opportunity to rethink the way we do business and the way they dole out the money. You know, they're looking at special funds and, and reducing, you know, HTA's budget. So what's at stake here for you folks? You know, those pillars I mentioned are all critical elements to how we brand and market Hawaii. The beauty and serenity of our natural resources is what we're known for around the world. The uniqueness of Hawaiian culture and the sense of inclusivity that emanates from our communities are all critical elements. So it is really kind of a holistic approach to how we will move forward to, to strip away those other three pillars and reduce The mission of HTA back to marketing only is A, short-sighted, B, it lacks the sophistication that the world markets that we have to compete against uh, excel at. And so it is, in our opinion, an outdated way of looking at an industry that is maturing and in search, I would say, of authentic experiences that can only be achieved with the visitor engaging directly with people of the community and being sensitive to our natural environment, as well as engaging different activities, festivals, and events in our communities. Uh, To strip all that away or to put it back in silos uh, is, in my opinion, extremely short-sighted and outdated. Now, HCA, I think, has provided funds for Bishop Museum, I think, to develop, I think, like the garden tours on site. You folks have helped with Vicki Holtakamini's, you know, the the fashion show that uh, is hugely popular there in Waikiki that draws both visitors and local residents out to showcase our talent here. We've been hearing in recent weeks about how groups like uh, VASH, Jessica Lani Rich's group you're just concerned about their funding and what's going to happen going forward you know they should be concerned about their funding because some of these cuts uh, are not accompanied by by other sources of funding being identified and so we're fighting to hold on to that vash 
has been one of the more important tools in ensuring that visitors who are in trouble or in crisis or in an emergency situation have a net that will catch them. And the folks at VASH have just been outstanding. And those events that you pointed out are, you know, they're all part of the fabric. And, and that's, you know, HDA over the last, I'd say, decade in particular, has really worked hard to interweave the fabric of culture and community to make it seamless. And it distinguishes Hawaii as a destination. You know, I, when I first saw the Senate Bill 862, you know, if you set out to fix something that's not broken, you're then obligated to break it so that you can fix it. And I feel bad for all of those, the people in the community who came out that gave voice to the strategic plan, are giving voice to the destination marketing action plans that are a process that's ongoing right now. Uh, we have a community that's engaged, and it's no secret that in less than 15 hours, more than 202 testimonies were submitted, 201 against Bill 862. Really? Statistically, that's 99.5%, and the bill still passed with amendments. And what struck me is the diversity of that 200. It wasn't just the visitor industry, which is obvious, and not the hotels, the airlines. That's pretty obvious. What's not so obvious is when the environmentalists step forward, when the Native Hawaiian community steps forward, when community nonprofits step forward, uh, all of whom are intertwined. Uh, directly or indirectly with the visitor industry. And to bring that kind of voice together on a gut-and-replace bill, a well-crafted bill, a well-thought-out bill, carries with it a vision of the future or a principle, an organizing principle. When you gut-and-replace something and, and pull it off at the last minute, there is no vision in it. You know, what you find in gut-and-replace bills typically uh, are hidden agendas. And, and, and this time, the degree to which it's affecting the community and the industry is why it's worth fighting for. What's your take on the hidden agenda here? You know, if you take away statutory powers, if you take away funding for governance, which means your board can't function, you start taking away that. Where's that authority going? You know, essentially, HDA ceases to be an authority at some point if you keep removing that and and reduce to a facilitator of marketing. You know, we're just going to have to keep our eyes on it because that removal of uh, responsibility and authority should concern everyone because when those public funds are turned over to HDA, 12 members of the board who were confirmed by the state senate have been acting responsibly as volunteer board members. As, as much as I feel programmatically for the community and the staff, I also feel aloha for the board. Well, there's, there are 12 sets of eyes, additional eyes. Expert eyes, integrated eyes, not just from one corner of the community, but you look at this board, it's representative of the community, the industry, wine culture, and, uh, and that diversity is what makes it distinctive. It's what makes the decisions and debate well thought out. Um, and we lose that comprehensive view of things if it becomes politicized. Am I hearing you right that you're basically saying, you know, we need to get the priorities straight? We need, we need to get the priorities straight. And this is a 
a system that has refined itself, HDA, over the last 22, 23 years. And, and it's about as transparent as you can get. Our board meetings are open to the public. Mm-hmm. Our financial statements are posted online monthly. Uh, and we undergo the annual audit reviews. And what I said to one of the lead legislators is on a Pacific island, when you need firewood, you don't burn the canoes. And I think of HTA as a voyaging canoe and a fleet of fishing canoes. And we're burning the canoes with this type of legislation. We've been hearing from John DeFries, executive director of the Hawaii Tourism Authority. He's been talking about Bill 862, a bill headed to a conference committee in these last two weeks of the legislative session. The bill, we're told, was uh, introduced to reconfigure aerospace policies, but was changed to include restructuring of the Hawaii Tourism Authority, which some say is meant to hold HTA accountable. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. back with the conversation. I'm Catherine Cruz. The overwhelming response to a new round of federal aid for performance venues crashed the website last week after going live. Museums were among those they could have been eligible for the federal recovery funds. But we learned the fine print will likely exclude places like Iolani Palace and other small community museums. Here's Paula Akana, executive director of the Friends of Iolani Palace. When the pandemic first hit and we closed on March 18th, when it was time to reopen in June, we only had money to stay open until August, and that was it. Uh, the community has been just remarkable. You know, there's been fundraising from Council for Native Hawaiian Affairs that brought in $80,000 and then a $50,000 match from Hawaii Community Foundation and Naha, and that started it. And then just people becoming members and making donations and grants coming in from different funds that have really helped us. But it's always one of those things where we're good for a couple months and then we got to put out a call again, three steps forward and a half a step back and then two steps forward. And so you're slowly moving forward. I mean, we did apply for the, that first round of PPP that, and we just had that forgiven. So we were really excited about that. And we applied for the second round and we applied for the EIDL, um, the loan from the SBA. Um, it's a small amount, only about a little over a a month of our expenditures, but that helped. And then we heard about the Shuttered Venues Operating Grant. It says museums in there, and so it says museums. And so we were so excited because museums we're a nonprofit, but we don't fit in that box. We're not feeding the hungry, nor we're not housing the homeless. We're not giving school kids lunches. You know, it's it's a real difficult situation, and it's hard in a lot of ways to ask for money because you don't feel like you're providing that vital service right now during the pandemic. But, I, you know, I think a lot of ways we do because I think culture and the arts is a, is a healing place. But So when we saw that, I was so excited. That was from when we first heard it in December. I was calling the SBA, making the rounds with everybody I could. 
and then they release the information on it, and you have to have a video or a lecture room, which we have here at Yolani Palace, but you had to have fixed seating. And we can't have fixed seating in the palace. We probably could have put it in the barracks, but it's after the fact. We can't do that. So that was a real letdown because that would have given us about one, we figured out, probably $1.5 million to, to Little Iolani Palace. And that was unrestricted grant money that you didn't have to pay back. And that would have put us solidly all the way until, I want to say, probably summer 2022 and, and help us to grow operationally because we had to let so many people go. We're operating at such slim standards now that would have been able to help us to really, you know, add in a few people that we really, really, truly need. As soon as I heard that, I started calling again. I called the new SBA guy in Washington. I talked to all our congressional delegations. It was like, no, we can't, we can't make an exception. It was really heartbreaking. So sadly, you're not eligible because of the fine print about the fixed seating. And I'm sure um, there are other community museums, right? Mission houses, places like that, that maybe could have been eligible but are not now? Yeah, I would say most of, I would say the majority of museums in Hawaii are cut out of it because of that fixed seating. And that was the main requirement. But it wasn't the requirement for some of the other venues that were under that legislation, you know, some of the theater venues could have folding chairs. I think the museum community wasn't really aware of it. I think they were really excited that they were being included because this whole funding mechanism was really set forth initially just for like the big live concert venues. And I think there was a constituent with, with those lawmakers that said, hey, add museums in, so they added the museums in. There wasn't anything, you know, there wasn't anything to say. Hey, that's a that's a really wonky thing to write in there about museums. Um, what I had heard was that they believe that fixed seating was put in there so small roadside museums in America. I don't know, maybe it's like the largest ball of yarn or something wouldn't be included in that. But our delegation went and asked. They said, you know, we have a national historic landmark here. Can you make an exception and? And it was pretty much no, because the bill had already been signed into law, and it was part of that massive American Recovery Act. So you would have to stop and redo everything, basically. So I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe sometime in the future you might be able to come up with some new legislation, but I'm not going to count on it. <laughs> yeah, well, when you and I last talked, you had just taken over the position over there. You were hoping to grow the membership so that the the community could come and see their palace. And you have been able to, to get you know, new members there. You just got actually a donation recently from a pig farmer, which was very heartwarming. You know, that's been the nice thing. We've had Cinnamons, the restaurant. They had certain items on their menu where the proceeds would come to the palace. We had Eolani that made those original masks, and then Warrior Printing that did some other masks for us, and, and a T-shirt, and Detail made those um, actions of Aloha cards, and been nice to see the community come in it's the community that's stepping up to say what can we do to help you and so when brandon lee called me he's a he's a pig farmer he called up and he just said i want to help I, I can't see why our palace is struggling he goes i want to do something and i'm like that's awesome you know and and then he says i'm going to sell my hot dogs you know and they're wonderful hot dogs. And he says and the donations will go back to the palace. And he happened to be the Mahi Ai Challenge winner with Kamehameha School. And so 
he talked to Kamehameha, and, and they said, why don't we do a match to that? And so it was really heartwarming. He, he's such a neat guy. And we asked our historian, Zita, I said, is there like any way to tie Talus into farming so we can really recognize him? And so I told him, and it was it was really kind of chicken skin, that at one point in time, the Hawaii Royal Agricultural Society was having their, this, I don't know if it was an annual thing they would do, but Kalakaua won first place for having the fattest native pig. Uh-huh. So, so I told him, you're a pig farmer, and Kalakaua won the award for the fattest native pig. So you know what? <laughs> yeah, pigs are welcome at the palace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But to see, you know, someone like that who works really hard to do what he does and to think about us is just really heartwarming to see. The plight of the palace, I think, has been in the minds of, of some lawmakers because it's in kind of in poor shape in places. You know, you had the situation with the bees. That was an added expense, you know, and people don't realize that you rely on the on the turnstile, right? People coming in for tours on your operations to keep you afloat. Yeah, the turn, and, and we've realized because of the pandemic that that turnstile business plan is probably not ever going to work again for museums, um, or at least for the foreseeable future. So when, when something breaks, we fix it. That's what has been done up until I came on board. And so I've tried to build those relationships with lawmakers and with our landlords, DLNR, to scope out really who needs to do what. Um, DLNR has been helping us. We had, you know, we had the bee problem. That cost us a lot of money over the years for those bees. Hawaii Tourism Authority gave us a contract basically to get rid of the bees and to help us restore the Coronation Pavilion, which was an awesome thing. We're working on the roof. You know, the roof is leaking, and it's been leaking for a long time. And so that, when I first came on board, was my biggest concern. And all of my attention was like, how do we how do we do this? Because we don't have any money. There wasn't any endowment here at the palace when I came in. So when the pandemic hit, we were really just devastated financially and mentally, you know, by everything that was going on. The roof is, is estimated at about a million dollars. So we applied for the Saving America's Treasures Grant. We um, are still waiting to find out. It's, it's, a, it's a federal grant through the National Park Service and the Department of Interior. Half a million dollars is what we asked for, which is the maximum of their grant. And then you have to have the matching money. And so DLNR has set aside a half a million dollars in matching money for that. So our hope is that we get that grant and we can fix the roof. Um, if we don't get the grant, we utilize the DLNR money for as much of the roof as we can. Um, there's some legislative, legislative. We started off with a couple of bills, and you know they they cross over, they wind down, they disappear. So we're hoping to get some um, actually operations money, um, but you know really may, remains to be seen what and how much, um, and and also maybe some CIP monies. I mean the state is def- definitely hurting. But we are too, and I, I think they're trying. That that was Paula Akana, executive director of the Friends of Iolani Palace, talking about how the palace is not eligible for federal recovery funding because of a requirement that says it must have fixed seating. Lawmakers will debate funding for the state building in an upcoming conference committee. Right now, the Senate has proposed adding more than seven hundred twenty thousand dollars in the budget for next year. 
And as Paula mentioned, during the pandemic, the Hawaii Tourism Authority provided the palace with a $290,000 grant to help it recover from a bee infestation in its tower and also for needed repairs at the Coronation Pavilion. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. listening to The Conversation here on HPR One. And joining us for today's reality check is Honolulu Civil Beats' Christina Jedra. She is the latest on the second case of a police-involved fatal shooting in as many weeks. Good morning, Christina. Morning, Catherine. So, gosh, I know everybody's just wondering what is going on. What could you share with us? Yeah, so um, we have a second police shooting this week uh, involving the Honolulu Police Department. Um, this time it's Lindani Mieni, a 29-year-old man from South Africa. Um, you know, it's still early. The information is preliminary and it's under investigation, but um, Chief Susan Ballard did hold a press conference yesterday to share um, some of the, the details. Um, what we know is that he allegedly walked into a home in Nuuanu, um, not his own home, and was um, took his shoes off, was talking with the homeowners, and uh, eventually left, returned to his vehicle, according to police, and then when police responded, it, it uh, kind of devolved into a violent confrontation. Um, three police officers were injured and had to go to the hospital, um, and Miani ended up dead. And we understand that they tried to use a taser, but it didn't work. That is what Ballard said. Um, you know, it's still early and um, body camera footage hasn't been released yet, um, but uh, that is part of the, the police's um, story of what happened here. Um, and as you mentioned, this is the second week in a row that we've had a, a police shooting. Um, last week, last Monday, a 16-year-old, I remember, Cap, um, a Micronesian boy, was uh, shot and killed while police were pursuing a vehicle he was driving for um, an investigation into a stolen car and some other uh, crimes related to that vehicle. So it's been a tough two weeks, um, and there's still a lot that we don't know. Right, and that one, uh, I think you mentioned 16-year-old boy, but other minors involved, uh, young adults, and lots of body cam video to screen in that case. That's right, yes. the There's body camera um, footage in that case as well. Um, but the, the chief hasn't really indicated when that may or may or may not be released. Um, she said the department's still reviewing it, and um, perhaps it'll be released after their investigation is over. Um, and I should note that the prosecuting attorney's office is also uh, reviewing these cases, as they do in all police-involved shootings, according to Ballard. And so, what do we know about you know when uh, this kind of lethal force is is warranted? Well, according to the Honolulu Police Department's use of force policy, deadly force is only allowed when officers need to defend their own life or the lives of other people. Um, and it has to be, you know, kind of 
an immediate threat. Um, I asked the chief about this yesterday, um, specifically regarding the shooting of the 16-year-old last week, and I asked what the rationale was for the officers um, in, in shooting him, what, you know, what was the threat in that moment, and she didn't really provide an answer. Instead, she pointed to the teen's criminal history and the fact that um, the car he was driving was connected to crimes you know, earlier that day, earlier that week, so we don't really have clarity yet on what happened in those final moments of this teen's life. And then we still don't really know much about the officers, right? They were involved in this other one in Uwanu. That's right. Yeah, the, the department has not released the names of the officers. Um, Ballard said that that's for privacy concerns. I imagine they'll come out sooner or later, um, you know, if, uh, if anyone's disciplined or, or something like that if there's lawsuits down the line that this ha that happens in these kinds of cases um, I should also note that um, officer involved deaths um, have been on the rise on Oahu in recent years um, ten years ago it was between one and three um, and lately it's been six in 2018 eight in 2019 so it, it's it's something to keep an eye on all right okay well thank you so much Christina thanks Catherine that was Christina Jedra. Head to HonoluCivilBeat.org to read her story on this latest shooting and what the chief had to say about it. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Matson, committed to strengthening island communities by donating ocean shipping for food bank networks, including Oahu's Hawaii Food Bank and neighbor island food banks. Matson.com.